The following message was given by Rayshawn Graves on Sunday, November 25th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. I'm Rayshawn Graves. For, for those of you that don't know me, I, I know, feel like I know most of y'all. Um, I was over at Hope most of the time, except for when I was preaching here, so... Uh, if, you, if you don't know me, I, I was uh, here about six months ago uh, on staff as a pastoral assistant. My, my family and I have been at Redemption Hill uh, for like eight years. Uh, and recently, um, I became the pastor of West End Baptist Church, which is located uh, over in Western Henrico, which is kind of now Central Henrico. Um, and so that happened six months ago. Uh, the church is in the, a bit of a season called revitalization, which essentially is just a big word, meaning we are figuring out what the next steps for us look like as a church. As a church that's in Henrico County in 2018, what does it look like for us uh, to be healthy, uh, to love our community, to serve our neighbors, and, and to glorify God? And so uh, that's what I've been doing over the last six months. Um, it's, it's been a great time. We've spent the summer uh, just talking about uh, just three main things, gospel, community, and mission, the things we want to value as a church. And uh, we recently preached through just a, a series on who we are as the church, and then we finished going through the book of Ruth. Uh, it's been great. My family, my wife Tiffany, and my son Ezekiel, we've transitioned uh, really well. Everybody at the church, I think maybe even some of you might know them, uh, some of the people there, uh, people have been very warm and receptive and just open to us. Uh, people have been open to changes moving forward, and uh, it's just been a great time getting to know everybody, getting to see community and relationships form. Uh, we've also had a few families come with us from Redemption Hill, and they'll actually be here today uh, as well. Uh, and we'll, we'll take a moment and just and pray. Uh, but I want to thank you all for your support, uh, for your prayers, even for those of you who have, have visited and stopped by. Uh, I'm very grateful and thankful for what the Lord is doing uh, at West End Baptist Church and even what he's done uh, through, this, uh, through this revitalization and as Redemption Hills come alongside of us and have supported us uh, over the past six months. Um, I came to West End, uh, again, six months ago, and after being here, I uh, for eight years, church planning was a big thing that was on my heart. Um, it was something that I, I really wanted to pursue uh, ever since I got here. And w when I first met Robert, it was a conversation we had not too long after that about church planning. And so uh, for this to, to be a, a reality, for, for this to be a reality and that Redemption Hill is uh, coming alongside of uh, and supporting me in this, it's, uh, it's just been really refreshing and encouraging to me uh, in, in this season. So uh, again, I'm really thankful and grateful to the Lord for for what he's done. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in Philippians, uh, and we'll talk uh, about uh, how the Lord uh, works through our supporting one another, encouraging one another, and how he provides for us uh, through the gospel. And so I'm going to go ahead and take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and get started in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. Uh, Father, we thank you for, uh, for this time. Thank you for gathering us as your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would make it clear that Jesus would be exalted above everything, uh, that your gospel uh, would be proclaimed. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would speak and not me, that it would be your thoughts to go forth and not my own. Father, I ask that, uh, that during this time, uh, you help us put away any distractions or anxieties or things and help us to see the hope uh, and the joy and the, and the, the, the peace that is found in you. Uh, we glorify you and we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're familiar with late night television, you probably know who Jimmy Fallon is, the comedian, host of The Tonight Show. Uh, he's got this segment in his show uh, that's called Thank You Notes. 
And he writes this, these short, uh, short sort of sarcastic and backhand thank you notes to, to things or people that he encounters throughout the week. Uh, what happens is he, he pulls out this little card and this key, the keyboard player plays some really soft music behind him, some really soft thank you note writing music. Uh, and then he proceeds to say stuff like this. He says, uh, thank you yearbooks for being a great way to remind me of all the ways in which I didn't get involved. Uh, or thank you yard sales for being the perfect way to say to your neighbors, we think we're important enough to charge money for our garbage. <laughs> Uh, this one was really funny. Thank you, people who say, wow, you're really photogenic for not saying what you really mean. Wow, you're really ugly in person. <laughs> and so, they're, they're, of course, they're meant to be funny, right? But you've got to think, if you were to ever go to your mailbox and pull out a thank you note and you were to open it up and it were to say some sort of sarcastic or backhanded thing like this, it might make you scratch your head a little bit, right? Uh, well, in this letter to the Philippians, a letter that's essentially this pretty lengthy thank you note, Paul, after, after three chapters, he finally gets to the thank you part of this note. Uh, he thanks the Philippians for a rather large monetary gift that uh, they gave to support Paul in his ministry. And so this is pretty significant because this community of believers in Philippi, they had been wanting to give to Paul for a while. It, it says that they remembered him. Their intention was always there, but they hadn't been able to due to a lack of opportunity. And so uh, if this wouldn't have been the first time that they gave to Paul's ministry. They, they go way back with Paul. They had a long-lasting uh, friendship with him. And they gave to his ministry at the, at the beginning when he started in Macedonia and then when he went to Thessalonica. And what's even more is that uh, when the Apostle Paul was on his journeys, uh, he either didn't accept or receive support from other churches. And so even after this long season of silence from this church here in Philippi, he receives this generous gift from them. He receives this generous gift and then he replies in what a lot of commentators think is a really awkward and somewhat nervous alteration between thanking them for this gift and then telling them why he doesn't really need it. Just look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then jump down to verses 14 through 16. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. After reading verses like this, should we just cue the Jimmy Fallon thank you note music? Is what Paul doing here, is, 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 is what he's doing essentially, thank y'all, but, but I don't really need it? Is it sort of a Jesus juke where he goes, thank you for the gift, it's great, but I don't really need it, I've got Jesus? That's not what Paul is doing. What he's doing in this passage is he's thanking them while he's also teaching them. He's thanking them for their generous gift while also teaching them three things that we'll see today, that God, through the gospel, shapes our concern for others, God, through the gospel, sustains our contentment. And then God, through the gospel, supplies us in our insufficiency. And so this is what we want to see today as Paul is thanking them for this gift. Firstly, uh, he's thanking them for this gift, and we'll see that God, through the gospel, shapes our concern for others. 
Paul, he expresses thanks to the Philippians in verse 10 because they were concerned for him or literally they felt some kind of way about him. Now, sometimes we use this phrase to feel some kind of way about somebody to communicate a complexity of emotions or even frustration sometimes. But this feeling some kind of way for Paul, it was positive. It was something that the Apostle Paul had already been feeling for these people. He says it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Paul felt thankful for them. He felt joyful about them, caring for them by holding them in his heart is what he says. And here for the Philippians, the feelings are mutual. They're concerned for Paul. They are holding Paul in their hearts. They're concerned for his welfare, for his ministry, and most importantly, they care about the same things that he cares about. They care about the gospel being spread. They care about the gospel being proclaimed to the world. And so what we see here is that this is friendship. It's not a utilitarian friendship where they they send something to Paul and they get something in return and Paul gets something from them and they sort of use each other. This is a genuine friendship. But even more than that, it's a kind of friendship that is centered around the gospel. He says this, he says, your concern has been revived or renewed. It means it's blossoming again. After a a long fall and cold winter, this concern, this love that you have for me, the intention, it's now blossoming again into action is what Paul is saying. And it's not that during this season of silence, their love or concern for him had died off. We know that's not friendship at all, out of sight, out of mind. That's not how friendship works. Rather, this concern, the love, and the thankfulness, it was always there from these people. But he says to them, but you had no opportunity. And so for whatever reason, whether it was poverty, a rough economy, or hardships, or or persecutions, all things that would have affected this church in Philippi, The Philippians, they're coming out of this season of silence, and now uh, there's again this action that follows their intention. And so what's Paul's response to this? Well, he does what he encourages them to do previously in the previous passage, to rejoice in the Lord. He rejoices in the Lord greatly is what he says in verse 10. But why, though? Is Paul rejoicing because this guy, Epaphroditus, told him that the check came in the mail? Is he rejoicing because of the support came at just the right time? I mean, after all, Paul's in prison, he's lonely, he's by himself, maybe commissary's running low, finances are running low, the support that he sends out to his ministry is running low? No. Paul is rejoicing because of what the gospel has done in the hearts of the Philippians. It's the gospel that has shaped their concern for Paul. This goes far beyond them doing something nice for Paul because they admire him or they they like what he's doing or they consider themselves his friends. This is far beyond just a a nice action. This genuine concern and and sacrificial, sacrificial action on their part, it's motivated by the gospel. How do we know that? Well, because these are the very same people that Paul bragged on and celebrated when he wrote to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul wrote to them, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He continued on and said, They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God 
to us. This was God's grace at work. God's grace had been given among this church in Macedonia, among the Philippians. And this is what makes Christian community. This is what makes the friendships that we have with one another in the gospel different from just a group of like-minded people who do nice things for each other. This is what separates Christian community. The gospel works in and transforms our hearts to love one another, to serve one another, to do all of those one another's that we see in the New Testament, but also to live sacrificially. As Paul said in Philippians 2, to have a mindset that puts the interests of others above ourselves. Having a mind that rejoices in the Lord when we see this taking place among us. This is what makes Christian community different. Out of what we've received through Jesus, out of the grace of God that we have received in the gospel, we now feel some kind of way. We feel genuine concern and love for one another, fueled by an abundance of joy, a joy that's not tied to our own interests and our own circumstances, but a joy that is rooted in the gospel. And out of this joy, out of this concern, we are now moved to gospel-fueled action. Listen, is this our mindset? Does this kind of concern and love for one another and serving one another describe our interactions with one another? This is what Paul displays here with the Philippians, and this is what the Philippians display towards Paul. So now moving on, uh, Paul goes from thanking them for their generous gift to teaching about a greater gift. And now we see that the gospel, uh, God through the gospel sustains our contentment. The reason that Paul's able to rejoice in the Lord over what's happening in their hearts through the gospel and then rejoice over their concern for him, even in the midst of his being imprisoned, is ultimately because his joy and his cause for rejoicing isn't grounded within himself or subject to his circumstances. See, in this thank you note, he's not throwing out a backhanded compliment or, or being sarcastic when he's talking about not being in need. He, he wants to be clear, and he doesn't want his readers to misunderstand what he's joyful about or why he's joyful. It's not primarily because of the gift. Certainly, that does play a part for his joy. But it's not the main thing, which is why he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. See, this joy that Paul has isn't because his need has been met, his temporary need has been met. It's because of this gospel-fueled love and concern uh, displayed by these people in, in Philippi. His present needs are not what he's focused on for fulfillment. And Paul continues on saying this. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now look, this is in denial. Paul's not denying that needs exist. His needs are certainly present, and they will be. They'll continue to be present. And what he's communicating to us is that this doesn't mean that there's some way for Paul or you and I to be need-free in this life. He's not telling us that there is some prosperity gospel-like formula that we can have to eliminate any and all needs that we have. No needs are there. Needs will always be there. Paul actually explains his needs in the next verse. He talks about his lowliness, his hunger, his neediness. He also isn't saying that he's immune to the very real feelings and emotions that arise within us when we have needs. 
the anxiety, the doubt, the worry, the fear sometimes. He's not saying, I'm immune to those things. He's not a stoic, disconnected from any type of emotional reality or or his present circumstances. There's something that Paul has learned is what he's saying in the moments of neediness, but also in the moments of abundance that he's now teaching us. Contentment. He says, I am to be content. And he goes on to say that in every, every, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I'm good is what Paul says. I'm good. Now notice here in this verse that contentment is the outcome. But it's not the secret to the outcome. You and I know all too well, especially if we're honest, that there are a bunch of ways to move towards this outcome of contentment. And there are a bunch of things that we do, even sinfully, to convince ourselves that we are or should be content. Comparison, right? Well, I've got more than them, so I I guess I should be good, right? Or even judgmentalism. Well, I'm not that bad, so I guess I should be be all right with my relationship with God. I'm not that sinful, so I I guess I should be good with what God has given me and where he's placed me. You all probably don't get very many basketball references and sermons anymore, so I'm going to give you another one. But you you remember Michael Jordan, right? Phil Jackson, he brought in Zen to the locker room to get Jordan to center himself and to find contentment on the court. We do all types of things, right? Bird watching, taking walks, giving stuff away, positive thinking, assuming that, that you and everything around you is perfect and the way it should be. Lying to ourselves to, to try to get contentment. Listen, how do you get contentment? How do you try? What Paul isn't promoting is that you should be content because you're a Christian. Now go and do whatever brings you contentment. That's not what he's saying. So often in contentment, we are pursuing a kind of independence, a kind of independence where we can say, oh, I'm good within myself due to whatever reasons I've I've now found contentment. But what Paul is saying here is that contentment actually comes from dependency, a deep dependency. Contentment doesn't come from within ourselves or through our own efforts, but it comes through the efforts of another, Jesus, which is why Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus, his person, his work, he is the enabler and strengthener of his people to live with true and genuine sufficiency in any circumstance, poverty or prosperity. Christ supplies, Christ strengthens in any circumstance. The sufficiency that's found in Jesus gives true contentment. How? Well, for Paul, his greatest fulfillment isn't in material or circumstantial prosperity. His greatest fulfillment isn't that this check has arrived in the mail and now he's good as long as he's in prison. His his resources have been met. But even more, Paul's greatest need isn't in the lack of food or resources. Paul isn't saying that if I could just have these things taken care of, I'll be fine. No, in any fulfillment that Paul seeks, Jesus gives a greater fulfillment in the gospel. And in any need that Paul experiences, Jesus has met Paul's deepest need through his finished work. 
The riches of God's grace in the gospel outweigh the abundance of all other things and the price of his death and his resurrection. It meets our greatest and deepest need. The strengthening power and promises of the gospel, they quiet. They quiet the raging pangs of discontentment in our souls. And Paul displays this here. And just as he displays this here in the gospel sustaining our contentment, we're strengthened. We're given sufficiency, contentment. And as a result, in recognizing the fullness that we have in Jesus we can now turn from primary concern for ourselves and our interest, and now we can rejoice and be concerned for the interests of others. That's why he can rejoice about the transformative work that is happening in their hearts and not be focused on his own needs. It's because of the power of contentment that comes through the sufficiency in Jesus. Now listen, Philippians 4.13, you know this verse gets butchered all the time, right? It's like the Christian athlete's mantra. It's written on Sharpies on the basketball sneakers, painted under the NFL player's eyes. We see it all the time. It's not really meant for your sports team or, or maximizing whatever ability you have to do something. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you, you go ahead and just fly and soar and do whatever you set out to, to do to accomplish we chant it like it's meant to be a motor and a motivator. But Paul uses it here to communicate rest and dependency. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Dependency on Christ's sufficiency, especially when life is handing you L's. Especially when life is not going well, when you find yourself imprisoned and alone and nothing's working the way it should. Christ's sufficiency is enough, is what Paul is saying. Your joy, your satisfaction and fulfillment doesn't come through the prosperity or poverty that we face in our lives. It comes through Christ's sufficiency. In the gospel, we see Jesus through whom God's love, God's grace, peace, joy, Fulfillment, satisfaction, God's acceptance of us comes to us. And this is enough. It's enough for Paul. It's enough for us. And this is what Paul teaches us. He can tell us to rejoice in the Lord always in the previous passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He can teach these people in Philippi to do this because he's practicing what he's preaching. Because Christ is sufficient, because Christ gives him contentment, he can rejoice always through any circumstance, in any setting. And this is what it means for Christ, for God through the gospel to strengthen us and strengthen our contentment. So we've seen how God through the gospel shapes our concern for one another, and we've seen that God through the gospel uh, strengthens us in our contentment. And now moving on in verses 14 through 19, we'll see how God through the gospel supplies us in our insufficiency. In verses 14 through 19, Paul, he repeats the same pattern that we just saw, thanking them, but also teaching them. He's, he's thankful for their concern and their sharing in, fellowshipping in his trouble, Bearing his burden, he's thankful for their coming alongside of him when no one else did. 
These Philippians, they've always been supportive, particularly in giving and receiving, even at a cost to themselves. Remember, out of an abundance of poverty, severe affliction, and then joy, they give. Again, at a cost to themselves. But again, Paul states that his case is, uh, that he states his case that this gift, this is, it's not his primary motive. His aim, that which gives him joy, the reason that he's celebrating about them is not because he's seeking the gift. He says that here in verse 17, I'm not seeking the gift. Yes, certainly he's thankful for the gift. He's well supplied of it and even more is what he says. But it's not what this gift does for him that gives him joy. It's what this gift does for them. Paul says that it's a reward, a profit, or fruit that will accrue or accumulate interest to their account. And what he means by this phrase is he wants to convince them that that his receiving their gift isn't where the recognition and joy ends. You sent the gift. I'm thanking you. You see that I'm satisfied. My needs have been met. That's it. That's great. Thank you, guys. He's saying it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with only his recognition and only his joy. No, he says God sees this. God sees this. God recognizes this sacrificial display of of giving and care and concern. Not because it's a nice thing to do, because it is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the very God who has done this towards people like you and I at a cost to himself. God sees this and God is pleased. Paul says it's like a sacrifice before God that points back to the Old Testament sacrifices, but this isn't a sacrifice that earns them any types of points with God. It doesn't earn them any more acceptance with God. No, they have that. This is the type of sacrifice that expresses worship and devotion and trust in God. A sacrifice that is rooted in his acceptance of us, his forgiveness of our sins, his provision for us in the gospel. What Paul is saying is that God delights in that. God takes joy in that. And so in this display of sacrificial and generous support and provision for Paul and his material and spiritual needs, Paul, he wants to remind them of God's provision for his people in all of our needs. Notice what he says there starting back in verse 14. He says, you sent help for my trouble. You sent help for my needs, my trouble, my needs. And in verse 19, he goes on to say, now my God, my God will supply every need of yours. And this isn't simply just a well wish or a good way to close a letter. This is not, there's nothing cliche about this. This is an unshakable reality that is rooted in the gospel. Our all-sufficient God will supply you in every insufficiency, is what he's saying. Paul recognizes the context. He knows what they're giving out of. He knows what a, a sacrifice this is. And he knows that even as they have given this to them, that even as they have given this to him, that they might be even concerned in the back of their minds or even at the forefront of their minds about how their needs will be supplied. And he's encouraging them. That in the same lavishness that you have demonstrated towards me, Paul says, God will demonstrate and has already demonstrated towards you in the gospel. God, out of the utmost concern and commitment to you, his people, 
in accordance with or in keeping proportion to what he has done for us in Jesus, pours out his grace and provision. And in the same way that God pours out his riches of grace in Christ lavishly, he lavishly supplies his people with provision of our needs. Not in a prosperity gospel kind of way where we just get whatever we want from God and we're all millionaires tomorrow. No, but in a way that addresses both our material but also the needs beneath the needs. The contentment that we need in circumstances that are are bleak. The joy that we need that's not tied to any, any situations in our lives. God supplies all needs. He supplies our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now listen, Thanksgiving just passed, right? And I started to think about this, of, of what it means for God to give according to his riches in Christ. And I don't admit this very much, but I just, I definitely don't like mac and cheese. Macaroni and cheese is not one of my favorite dishes at all. I will pass it up in the line, and they might take my black car for it. It's okay, but... <laughs> I just can't stand mac and cheese. And so I often think about when Thanksgiving comes around, uh, growing up, we would go to our, our relative's house and, you know, they served the, serve the food and all the, the different trays and everything, just large portions of it. And so you get an auntie or something who takes this big spoon and she scoops this entire portion of mac and cheese and you just sort of moving down, down the line. You take the green beans, you take some collard greens, some cornbread, but then you get to that mac and cheese and you don't want to be disrespectful, right? So you say, I'll just take a little bit, knowing that I'm definitely not going to eat that. She takes this big spoonful and dumps this mac and cheese on your plate. And I'm like, why? Why be so generous with this? I mean, someone else can eat this mac and cheese. Well, she's got 10 other trays in the back, in the kitchen. (laughs) And so if she were giving out of her supply of mac and cheese, then yeah, she would just be giving out of that one tray. But she's giving me such a large portion of mac and cheese because she's got 10 other inexhaustible trays of it. And as I thought about this, this is what God does for us in the gospel. He pours out lavishly, not out of a a particular measure of grace that he has, but inexhaustible riches of his glory and grace in Christ. He gives us lavishly the forgiveness of our sins, joy and acceptance and peace lavishly. Our glorious and all-sufficient God, the author of creation and redemption, he is our inexhaustible resource and, and father, what Paul says, because he's already resolved our greatest need, the removal and the forgiveness of our sin at the cross of Jesus. And because of this, he will graciously commit himself to our lesser needs in this life. He pours out his grace on us. And because he's blessed us in Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, we don't have to be carried away or consumed with all the temporary blessings that we experience in this life. The joy and the peace and the sufficiency that we have in the gospel, the sufficiency that we have in Jesus, it anchors us from being carried away from all the abundance in this life, but also being, not being torn apart and carried away from our needs and our, our lack, even in the times where we're in great need. This is what God gives us in the gospel. He gives us contentment, fullness, satisfaction in him. And this all comes to us through Jesus, through his finished work. And so the point of this entire passage, what Paul wants to remind us of, 
in seeing how the gospel shapes our concern and seeing how it strengthens our contentment and in seeing how the gospel also uh, points us to our, our all-sufficient provider, we see that Jesus is enough, that he is all-sufficient. Jesus is all-sufficient for whatever we need. This is the reality that Paul wants to point us to. And if Jesus is all-sufficient, it, it, means that, it means that you and I can share in one another's troubles, just like the Philippians shared in his It means that we can bear one another's burdens without being consumed by our own burdens and worries. We're not worried about our own needs because we know that God provides for us on the basis that if he did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, then will he not with him graciously give us all things? If this is rooted and anchored in our souls, in our hearts, then we can rejoice with others. We can put their interests before our own. We can live sacrificially. We can care for one another and bear one another's burdens. Furthermore, if Jesus is all-sufficient in his perfectly obedient life and sacrificial death and powerful resurrection in our place for our sins, all of our sin, past, present, and future, if Jesus is sufficient, then we can be honest about our needs. We can be honest about our sin and our brokenness. We can be honest about our weakness. We can boast in our weakness, even as Paul goes on to say, because we know that Christ strengthens us in all things. He strengthens us in our failure, our sins, our battles, our lack. He strengthens us, and he gives us a foundation to not be carried away by prosperity and abundance. In him, we are satisfied. And we know that from his fullness, the fullness that we have in Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. And if Jesus is all sufficient, we can rejoice in the midst of any circumstance. Again, because our joy isn't tied to our circumstances. We can possess true Christian affection for one another. Not looking to our interests only, but to the interest of others. And as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, we can share in this mindset that Jesus had. So listen, as I close there, I just want to take a moment to say that during my time here, my my family's time here, and even through this transition of revitalization, uh, both myself and my family and the families who have come with us, uh, Yvette Hicks and uh, Tripp and Andrea Stover, uh, Jacob and Hannah Easter and Garrett Fu, uh, they're all here uh, again with us today. They've experienced this same love and support and care and concern from Redemption Hill, from our pastors, uh, from you all, from uh, their communities. Uh, I know I have received just throughout my entire time being here uh, this love and care and gospel friendship from many of you all that's been encouraging, that's been supportive, that's been uh, truly a blessing to my life, the life of my family, uh, and the lives of so many others who are here at Redemption Hill. And so uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for that as a church, as a church body, but I also want to say thank you for your support even throughout this entire season of revitalization. 
Uh, as we have gone into this church looking to, to change things and, and looking to move forward and, bec- and growing healthier and uh, being a gospel-proclaiming church in Richmond, uh, a church that, that believes that, uh, and values gospel, community, and mission, I want to thank you for your support here at, at Redemption Hill, for your prayers, for those of you who have visited, for those of you who even have been praying about what it looks like for you to, to come alongside of us and, and serve in this revitalization with us. And I'm even continuing to pray that the Lord would place it on some of your hearts to to join in with us. Uh, Again, I want to say thank you for that. I want to say thank you for your support and your care for us throughout this this transition of revitalization and even going forward. It's been a tremendous blessing to me and my family. And and, uh, again, I am thankful for for what Redemption Hill has done for us. And so I want to ask the the, the team of people who have come along with me uh, to come up. Again, Yvette Hicks and uh, my wife Tiffany and my son Zeke, uh, Jacob and Hannah Easter. Uh, the Stovers actually couldn't be here today. It was sort of last minute, but uh, uh, they send their, their well regards. They send their love, uh, and they send their thanks as well throughout this revitalization. And uh, Garrett Fu is also uh, out of town, and um, he wishes he could be here with us today as well. And so, uh, again, thank you. I want to ask Robert to come up as well, and um, he'll take a moment to, to pray for us. I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, man. I'm going to pass the mic as well. You want to come up here? Which way do you want to go? Come up here. Let me get out of the way. You got to go all the way down there? I come all the way over here with the mic. You go all the way down over there? All right, hold on a second. We're we're going to let Hannah say something real quick before we pray. Uh, It's so good to see all of you. We don't really see you very often because we're at Holton. But um, I just can identify with Paul when he says that he just um, has a fondness as he remembers all of the believers um, that he's known in the past, and now he's moved on. But um, it's hard to be somewhere new because we miss you, and we're just so thankful for our time at Redemption Hill, and we feel so blessed to have been so prepared for this calling. Um, I feel like I'm going to cry, but Chris DeRocco and how he's just prepared us um, This is taking away from my time if I'm going to get emotional. Um, Just the way that he has helped us be community group leaders um, in the past years, and that Redemption Hill just focuses on getting to know people's hearts and being open, and that's something that we're learning at this new church, what that looks like, because they have um, more Bible studies, but the community group aspect is more new, and so just being able to use what we've already learned from the past years just feels so gracious of God and exciting. Um, So thank you, especially to Chris um, and training us. So, um, one quick thing, but my parents came over a year and a half ago for, for lunch, and we were talking to them and saying, um, so you guys church planted in your 30s, that's kind of cool, like what was that like? They didn't even know the people they were planting with, and so my da- dad called the next day and said, are you guys going to church plant? Like, is God working on your heart? And we're like, no, no, dad, we just thought it was cool that you did it, but he was like, we'll pray about it. So I started to pray, and as soon as I did, Rayshawn pops into my mind. I was like, whoa, that was, okay, God, what was that? Um, are you going to plant a church and we get to go with Rayshawn and Tiffany? That would be really exciting. Um, but that's probably 10 years down the road. So cool, but whatever. So then um, we ended up, we were praying about it. So we told Rayshawn and um, he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do it anymore. And we were like, you definitely should. And if you do, invite us along because we will come. And so we had him over for dinner, and we got to hear what was going on with Weston Baptist. And that night, Jake was like, we're coming along. 
We feel very firmly that God has appointed you for this time and gifted you for this church and that your neighborhood is across the street from the church. It's just all really cool to see God at work. So um, anyway, I encourage you guys to do the same. Just pray, asking God, even if you don't feel like, oh, we should go to Weston Baptist, but just say, Lord, you know, do you, do you want to send me? Um, and it's not easy being at a new church, building new friendships, and trying to get to know other people's hearts. That's very challenging, and we miss everyone dearly, but it's good, too, and exciting to see God's mission in Richmond um, and all that he is about to do through Rayshon and Tiffany and through us and Yvette and um, Tripp and Andrea and Garrett. So we just thank you guys for all of that you've done in um, ministering to us and training us and preparing us for this next chapter. Chris, you want to come pray? pray. Lord, I love all these people. I'm so grateful for the family that you have given us and God, for the time we've been able to spend um, with all those that you're sending now to, to be lights in other part of the city. I thank you for Rachel and Tiffany, for Yvette, and for the Easters. Father, what a blessing they have been to so many. Um, to my own family, God, and to those that don't even yet know you. I felt like Paul wrote, he said, I am sending you my very heart. And Father, we are, we are doing that. But we thank you for the, the blessing that it is to see those that have received the word to continue to give that to others. Like John said, what a blessing it is to see my children walking in the truth. Lord, we thank you that um, this isn't about us. This is about you and your glory. And God, we trust that you're sending them so that more disciples can be made and your glory can be made known through all this city. I thank you for what you're doing. And God, continue to bring them to our remembrance as we uh, think about you and your work in the city. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Rayshon Graves, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.